Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. And here we are. Uh, welcome to the GC On Demand podcast. Uh, my name is Eric Wright, and I'm very pleased to have another amazing guest here today. Uh, we've seen a lot of really interesting things uh, over the course of our you know, even short career with the GC On Demand podcast. But in general, you know, we've watched a lot of evolution in IT over the last little while, and it seems like the pace of, ex- of innovation is accelerating and the pace of feature releases and and product releases is also you know really really kind of rapidly accelerating so it's kind of tricky sometimes to get a hold of you know what's new and 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 what's what's happening and we're very lucky to be able to catch something in flight right now uh, with that i'd like to introduce justin parisi you may know him as uh, the nfs dude abides online uh, on twitter uh, but Justin, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us a bit uh, about your role, uh, your social media, where to find you, and, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the cool new stuff happening with uh, NetApp. All right, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thanks a lot. So uh, my name is Justin Parisi. I am the technical marketing engineer here at NetApp for NFS. Um, I'm also covering uh, the new feature coming out for ONTAP 9 called Flex Groups. Um, I've been at NetApp for about nine years now, started out in support. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NFSDudeAbides, also my blog at WhyIsTheInternetBroken.com. We also uh, have a NetApp podcast called the Tech on Tap Podcast. You can find that at TechOnTapPodcast.com. Excellent. Yeah, and it actually, you guys do a great podcast, you know, one of the many, uh, you know, shows that I listen to because I love the the style and, and the way that you guys cover content and, and have such a great a great community of folks that kind of wrap in there. So, you know, obviously we want to talk about, you know, ONTAP 9 and, and some of the cool new things, but more than anything, you know, I want to sort of touch on what you mentioned in the intro there. You've been at NetApp for a while. You came in through the support side. And how's your how's your growth and exposure been through, the, you know, the, the general IT community, you know, through your, your time at NetApp? So it's kind of funny when you're in support. There's a few things that happen. For one, uh, everything's broken. <laughs> right? That's I mean, right. No, there's never good news, right? <laughs> never good news, right? So I mean, you get kind of a jaded view of the product and the company as a whole because you're, you're working in support. But in reality, there's a whole world outside of support community. Um, so you go from support where you're kind of in a silo and you're your heads down and you're just trying to to work through cases and get customers fixed up and working. When you go into the, the technical marketing side of things, you, you kind of come out of the support organization with like this view of like, okay, you know, is everything really broken? And then you start to see that it's not, that there's a lot of good success stories out there with the community um, and with your customers. So you, you start to hear that, you start helping people set things up. You realize that it's part of your responsibility to help people set them up properly the first time to avoid them to go to support because then you realize the correlation between why people went to support to begin with, you know, they had best practices that weren't implemented or they didn't read the instructions, that sort of thing. So it's, it's, a, it's a useful dynamic to have, I think, to start from that aspect of 
report and then go into like a more like best practices, technical marketing, documentation type role. Um, as far as community goes, I mean, being in the social sphere, I, it's funny because I went to tech marketing about three years ago. And when I started, I really wasn't in any sort of social media uh, aspect, you know, as far as my company goes. Like I just kind of did like Facebook and, you know, the personal stuff. Yeah. And uh, trade shows came around. I was like, man, how do I get people to come to my session? You know, how do I generate excitement? You know, because I'm, I'm NFS, right? It's, it's, it's a utility, essentially. <laughs> Hard water, to excite people sometimes. Yeah. Right, right. You know, water, electricity, NFS, right? So, um. So I was trying to get some interest generated there, so I started a blog up so I could, you know, maybe uh, spread more knowledge about NFS in general, uh, visibility, awareness, as well as just education, because I get a lot of the same questions over and over again. And when you get a question over and over again, you write it down. Um, so there's that, and then the the Twitter presence, where I, you know, I had my own Twitter account under my name, but it was like I never used it. I basically got it, got it to try to sign up for free stuff that people offer on Twitter. Nice. <laughs> you know, back when they did that, they don't, they don't really do that anymore. Um, but yeah, so now I, I, you know, I said, okay, let me make a, a work presence, right? Um, or like a more community presence. So I started doing that, and, and a whole new world opened up where I started to see more outside of NetApp itself. Because you spend so many, so many years here at NetApp, you kind of just have a one-sided view. Then I started seeing, you know, people talking about EMC and all, you know, everybody else out there, just seeing what everybody was saying, understanding that, you know there's a dynamic there that you don't get if you don't put yourself out there and that the people that you're competing against aren't really your enemies you know <laughs> they're good there's some good people out there that work for other companies and they all share knowledge regardless of who they work for so there is a community out there regardless of competition well and especially if we think of you know most recently obviously you know uh, we saw the acquisition of solid fire by netapp and and that's one of those interesting things where you know, we talk about competition in the in the ecosystem, and uh, you, you you never know you know where we're going to end up as as right. any company. So it's uh, and I love that recognition of an echo chamber. You know, you've you got there and you realize that that happens because sometimes we don't, and a lot of folks kind of they really they really dine on Kool Aid <laughs> for the most part. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's it's easy to do. I mean, it's because you're so you're trying to make the best for yourself where you are and you know I'm not saying that any one product is better than the other it's just you, you kind of get that mentality if you don't expand your horizons and start to look outside of your own scope and that actually makes you better at what you do because you start to see where limitations might be in your product or your competitors and you can start to focus on those a little more with your your jump from you know in the support side and, and you talked about it you know the idea of you know, everything's broken. And you know, this is, you, you, no one just calls to say, hey, just want to let you know, things are going great, love it. And see, you're always like, hey, look, this went totally sideways. I'm, I'm not not sure what's going on. I'm angry. Uh, you know, you're kind of getting folks in, in their worst case. But you get to coach them through that and, and hopefully bring them back to, you know, comfortable space and get the problem solved. And then you get to feed that back into the organization. And I think that's a lot of what you do. I love your writing style as well. You you bring a real good, strong conversational style, and it's it's real, you know, because product documentation I find is is not real. And what we lose sometimes is this idea that we have technical writers who aren't consuming the product, who are writing about how to use the product. And what's your experience been on you know watching the shift and how we've let more 
customer facing people start to write about how customers are actually using the products itself. So, I mean, with the blogging, that kind of just came about because I wanted to do it because um, there is a certain template you have to kind of follow when you're going in a document. So back in support, you could do knowledge-based articles, and that was specific to a, a use case or specific to a problem, right? You know, X broke, so this is how you fix it with Y. Right. Um, with, te with technical reports, you know, there's, there's a variety of different technical re reports you can have. You can have a best practice guide or you can have an FAQ or you know whatever implementation guides solution guides um, but there's always a template you're always kind of in a certain bubble and you don't have a lot of freedom of creativity you know I definitely can't put in like giffies in my TRs <laughs> <laughs> yeah so with a blog you can you can kind of push the limits a little bit um, you can have opinion right you can throw out your opinion you can't do that in a TR um, right. And you can expand on some things that you know maybe shouldn't have gone in the TR, maybe got a little too in the weeds. So it, it's a good tertiary medium to have to be able to get your message across. And I think and we're, see, the, we're seeing more people in the customer organizations, you know, and and people are consuming technology, are consuming multiple products. Like they don't necessarily go to just the the kb to to find out detail and what's really good is of course organic you know search has helped us to develop multiple ways to attack the issue one is you know obviously the first thing you're probably going to find is here's the kb article on how to fix it and then you're going to find in that same search window a bunch of articles written about that kb article and the real like you said the you know adding nuance opinion and visually, you know, delivering some stuff because quite often KBs have to be fairly raw, dry, short, not a lot of walkthrough, not a lot of how-to style. It's more like, if you have this problem, do this thing, and that's it. And there's never, never nuance about well, what if you do that thing, it may affect these other things. Or and that's where the fun part is. Technologists, we get to kind of dig in, find out things, and say like, hey, this is cool. You know, I found a neat way you can do this. But even cooler. You can also do this other thing while you're there, and and I like that. It's you know, more and more people have come and approached me and said, you know, I like how I can consume outside information along with inside information because of you know organic Google search discovery. Well, what I've actually found with the blogging is that search results hits they come to my blog before they go to like the official documentation, right? And I, I didn't do this on purpose. It's just, you know, when I do a search for something, it's like, oh, well, I've come up with, like, for example, I search like, uh, you know, ONTAP 831 or something. And yep. like one of the first three hits is like a blog I wrote on 831. And I'm like, that's interesting that our stuff isn't coming up first. But what it doesn't affect, because when you go to that blog, it sends you to the right stuff. So it's also a way to get people to the right places because the search engine optimization functionality may not work with certain formats like PDFs or you know stuff that's behind a firewall or whatever or a login yeah. page so I mean there's a there's a benefit to having it external as well I mean you know it, not, not giving away free information necessarily that you know you may not want to give away but having enough out there so people can get the job done yeah it, it'll it'll help you to lead you towards you know yeah here's if you really ran into the situation here's a couple of KB articles and then yeah like you said you go to that 
and that's going to say, well, you need a support login to get it. And at least they're one step closer to knowing what the right place is. Instead of the first thing they hit is this reg wall of, oh, darn, I don't have a support account. You know, maybe it helps to coach them to, to where they need to get to the start line. Yeah, and you, and you see some of that in like other communities like Reddit. Um, you see it in communities like uh, Spiceworks where they have people that are out there trying to find answers for things. And these are forums and you know Stack Overflow, you know, all these different places where you can find answers to questions that are not behind paywalls. And I think that's really the next generation of the support site. You know, we've got a lot of companies have communities. Of course, you know, like where where I'm at with VM Turbo, we have a green circle community and it's lots of non-product stuff in there. There's a ton of, in fact, there's probably way more about that's not about VM Turbo than there is about VM Turbo. But what's cool is you've got this like sea of people that are answering questions in the community. And yeah, like he said, you know, uh, you know, Stack Overflow has obviously been a long-running standard. Uh, Reddit's there, uh, though it can take a dark turn quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it's not 4chan. That's right. Yeah, it's it. Some days it seems like it's getting closer and closer. It's yeah. it's it's watching Godwin's Law in action every every single day there. Yeah. Now, what's your thought on, you know? embracing community as a company you know because in a way you know you represent you know netapp and your role at netapp and and how do you give the value of that forward face in the community to the folks inside did you find that it was did you have to jump through any hoops to be able to put your content out there did you get any pushback ever you know and you not specifically, you know, we're not going to say like, oh, why was NetApp difficult? But why is any company not quite ready to see the value of that community faced yet? Because I'm finding more and more companies are slowly edging towards, you know, enabling folks like yourself to get out there because it's, you know, you want to do it. Why would you stop somebody from doing it? Yeah, so it's funny, like most of the response I've gotten from it is positive. Um, there's been a few times where maybe I, I wouldn't say crossed the line, but like said something somebody didn't like, or, you know, you're always going to have one person that doesn't like something, right? Um, especially when you get into the realm of opinion. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, and occasionally I've gotten blowback on that, but my management's been pretty good about kind of saying, hey, you know, it's opinion. And, you know, I make very clear on the page that this is not an official NetApp thing. And I do that for two reasons, right? One, to protect myself. Two, because I want to have a sense of credibility, right? I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm some shill for NetApp. Yeah, I write about a lot of NetApp stuff, but I also write about other things that are not out, you know, that are not NetApp. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to get things out there without having to go through any official hoops, because I just kind of just did it. Like originally, I was going to try to go onto our NetApp communities and blog there, um, but I found that, you know. It's a lot faster to just start your own up, and you can own the content, and you can curate it, and you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Um, and then, and it's yours after you leave, right? Uh, you know, if if you ever left the company you worked for and you had your own blog, guess what? They can't have it. It's yours. Yeah, and the content that we that you make, you you very nicely write up content that's related to the work that you're doing, but it's not something that you'd want to go back and like erase the existence of, of if, you know, a, a time were to come where you were to change organizations, there's no need to do that. Yeah. And that's the beauty part is about, I like your approach and I like a lot. There's a lot of bloggers out there who have seen that value and how you're talking about it. Like, Hey, look, this, 
the old, you know, opinions are mine. We kind of have to tag that sometimes because we know there are like legal protections around what writing. Well, yeah, absolutely. But most importantly, it's you know the way in which you present that content is your voice in re- in context of a product that you're using that you happen to work for a company that sells. It's not the company product first, and then you're finding a, a way to squeak your voice in. You're literally, it's like, this is how what, what I'm doing. This is what's cool. This is the product that does it. So that's what's cool as well. <laughs> and, and I really, yeah, yeah. I respect that, that you've been able to, to find that voice. And I think more and more folks need to do that. There's a lot of great bloggers out there. And that's the beauty part is people are, again, seeing that you can be independent with dependence yeah where we can be independent but be vendor backed and and that's that's a new shift i'm finding you know this idea of of independence within i think it's being respected internally as well do you find internally that folks are saying hey you know i i found a blog you know because i was looking for a problem and it, guess what it was your blog that's really cool like what's yeah. your feedback been inside yeah. It's funny. I've actually gotten that from some of our developers because I have a few Docker things out there, and the developers have just started looking into Docker's and containers, and they're like, you know, they go find this blog on Docker and NFS, and it's like, oh, hey, I know that guy, right? So I'll see them sometimes, and they're like, hey, I, read, I saw your blog on Docker and NFS. I, I liked it, you know, and then, you know, they give me some feedback on it, and that sort of thing. Um, I also get it with customers. Like, I got in the call the, you know, a few weeks ago, and there was this customer there. And um, at the end, I was like, hey, by the way, I've got this blog. If you want to check it out. And they're like, oh, I go there all the time to look for information. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, So it's it's good to know that it's out there. And that, you know, I know people are looking at it because you can see it from the stats. But you never know like what the impact is. You never know. It's like, man, am I crappy or am I, you know, am I good? <laughs> you can only go by like metrics, right? Like, okay, yeah. I've seen this spike at this day, at this time, whatever. You know, What does that mean? I don't know. don't care. Yeah, there's something but, yeah. special about that direct feedback. Like something like, "Hey, I read a, I read an article you wrote, and, and it like really helped." And that it gives you a bit of a boost to say, "Like, all right, good." Like that content, that content was being consumed outside of you know our technology echo chamber, where it's like us reading each other's articles. Because like, there's always a natural amount of that, just because folks that are also bloggers read other bloggers. And we don't necessarily see that next level of reach, like the the six degrees type of idea that that's next degree is is very important and it's a huge huge reach. Yeah, so absolutely. I I wanted to to get a little time to talk about what's new. You know, on Tap Nine just got announced, and mm-hmm. I always I'm always careful when when you're running a podcast, as you know. Never say coming this week or last week because it's like you never necessarily know when it's going to publish. But you don't want to timestamp it, right? Yeah, yeah. But we this is a very, very new thing. You know, where I'm going to publish this is in in the context of this very, very cool new announcement. So maybe if you want to talk a little about ONTAP 9, what's new, and sure. I want to dig into some really neat use cases that I think I, I want to explore with it. So, um, you know, we were talking about community and like, you know, what you hear out there and, you know, expanding your horizons. And a lot of what I was hearing out there was that, you know, ONTAP is complex, that, you know, it's hard, to, you know, hard to use. So I think NetApp also listened to that and they understood that and they started to do something about that. So they actually did a kind of a symbolic rebranding of the name. So it used to be cluster data ONTAP 8 dot blah, right, you know, whatever release. So they shorten it out to ONTAP 9. It's more of a symbolism thing than anything. It's kind of, you know, marketing, branding type stuff. 
if you get behind it, great. If you don't, whatever. But yeah. that was their whole intent, right? Um, the other piece on tap nine was the the tag simply anywhere, and what they're trying to accomplish with that is to kind of get you thinking about um, on-prem and off-prem storage, right? So being on-prem with your your localized cluster data on tap or on tap nine now, right? Um, or going off to you know either Amazon or Azure, wherever in the cloud, using uh, cloud on tap, or I'm sorry, on tap cloud. I can never catch up with the the branding. Um, and NetApp private storage, and then we have uh, a third option, which is like a software defined option called on tap select. So that's new in on tap nine. So they're listening to people, they're seeing what the market trends are, and they're really trying to keep up with that. Um, you know, there's other product lines at NetApp as well, not just on tap. You know, there's the storage grid stuff, there's the solid fire stuff, there's the e-series stuff. So they have other things that they're investing in to make sure they cover all their bases, but ONTAP has been the flagship more or less, right? So, um, the, you know, there was a name change. So beyond the name change, there was a bunch of new features, and that was another reason why they changed the name was because there was so much new stuff coming in, they wanted to make sure it made a splash, right? So um, one of the things that they came up with for ONTAP 9 was what they call Raid Tech, which is uh, the triple erasure encoding. And we're not the only ones that have this sort of um, technology to do you know, triple parity, but right. we, we have it now. And, and what really what was implemented for was to make sure we have the ability to support larger drives, um, which I'll lead into later as another feature, but um, larger drives, more usable space, better protection of the drives with the triple parity. Um, and it's going to be on by default for drives greater than six terabytes. Uh, and it, we also allow you to do non-disruptive conversion from uh, to and from RAID tech. So if you have double parity now, you could upgrade to RAID tech or downgrade as needed without needing to worry about taking any downtime. Not in that is that so a capability where you can actually do it in place, you know, in a in a current system, or is there still migration, you know, with some no, no migration, available? all in place. Yep, all in place, non-disruptively. Very cool. Yeah, so it, yeah, none of that forklift stuff that that was another thing we heard a lot about, right? Forklift stuff, right? But mostly that was because of its complete shift in architecture, right? From the, the seven mode systems to cluster data on tap, which there's a vast enough architecture difference where that was kind of a necessity, but we've we've worked through some of those transition challenges as well. Um so going back to the the RAID tech, the triple encode uh, erasure uh, coding, we have the support for large uh, drives now for SSDs. So the 16 terabyte SSD supports coming in ONTAP 9 as well. So just giant SSD drives to get more bang for your buck, um, have a smaller footprint, get more storage space. With that, they've increased the RAID group size minimum or maximum. So we're up to 28 max on a RAID group size. So you don't have yep. to waste a bunch of drives for parity. Um, and in addition to that, they've got you know the four to one guarantee. So every storage vendor out there and it has a guarantee basically right um, and really that's out of necessity because customers are asking for it I mean you know one storage vendor comes up with one they want everyone to have one so NetApp's guarantee is the four to one uh, storage efficiency guarantee there's certain caveats and fine print I don't I don't know all the details of that so you can go look it up <laughs> but um, my maths work so uh, Four to one of 15 or 16 terabytes with 15 effective is 60 terabytes of effective storage per drive with with the efficiencies. So that's pretty cool. So you get like a lot more of your footprint covered, and you're not you're not paying as much for storage once you factor in the efficiencies. So that, and that's really what it comes down to, right? How much am I getting for my money? 
Yeah, I think that's been the biggest area where it's a challenge as, as an industry, right? Because once one once one company sets a bar, then everybody else is kind of left to reach for that. And it's it's a weird thing because we people kind of feel like you're chasing features. And I always try and tell folks that, look, no one's chasing anything. They're all going towards the same stuff. They just right. maybe got there a little sooner. A feature that like this, you know, with being able to do triple parity erasure coding, it didn't happen since some other company announced it. It's been in the works for a while. It just so happens that, you know, the release comes maybe on the heels of somebody else doing a similar thing. It's it's a weird thing as an industry that we we kind of get this vision that amongst ourselves that we're chasing each other, but then you get out to folks that are actually consuming our technologies and they're like they just want it as a baseline, like, hey, you know, I hear this other company has something. Do you do you also have that? Oh, great. You know, then it it kind of level sets things and then they can go after the feature set or the prices or the whatever else they they really want, which is the like that business differentiator. Yeah, I mean sometimes when when you hear people brag about being first, kinda reminds you of the people in the comment section where they always <laughs> it's always the guy types in first and he's like the second or third guy that's that's like typed it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so while, while there is value in being first to the market because you can sell it first, um, beyond that, I mean, you know, like you said, people are people are working on this stuff. It's, you know, there's there's innovation out there, but it's getting to the point now where it's just variation. Um, it's you have to just kind of differentiate in other ways, and so you know, we're trying to differentiate in our own way, and you know, with with data fabric and the you know the cloud story and. Now we're adding features to you know the flash story. So, you know, every company differentiates a different way. And if we look at, you know, the way that the evolution and it's good that you've acknowledged it and a lot of companies are have to be good at acknowledging it, that there's there's hooks and and sometimes they we trip along the way. Right. There's challenges with migration from X version to Y version sometimes. And mm -hmm. and now, you know, that's the beauty part is I love that they've listened you know, discovered and and fed it back into a true feature set, right? That where you said like, hey, look, it this was really this wasn't fun, you know, or it wasn't even possible to do in place updates from from one one file system style to another, you know, one OS to another. And now it's that's sort of the new baseline is listening to customers and actually responding back with features. Funny thing about features is they're they're a lot more effective when they're actually requested by people that are going to buy them. And right. that's the other thing about being there first is sometimes it's first just as like a, a checkbox item. Not that it's bad to do that, but it's not always the the one that's going to get consumed. If you deliver 10 items, sometimes you may really only use three of them. And mm -hmm. those are the collective three that are used by the most people. And the other seven are a little bit of, of flair and dressing on it. But it's in the end, you know, when you, when you eat all dressed chips, you really just like the pepper. <laughs> so that's right. why they also right. sell pepper chips. <laughs> Some people just only need that one thing. Yeah. I am. I'm first to have the blinky lights. We're first. <laughs> that's <Blinky> right. <laughs> Now, as far as other stuff, you know, obviously we, we touched on, uh, you know, uh, triple parity erasure coding, uh, up in place upgrades, which is wicked cool, as the folks in Boston would say, uh, multiple sites, same storage. That's a story I love. 
the idea that we're going to start to consume this software-defined storage layer. What it really means for for me and for folks in that are listening is, can I finally truly have one thing, one way of consuming storage that it doesn't matter where it lives? And and how do you deal with that? Like, is that really the the coolest use case that you've seen now with the idea of hybrid storage means hybrid applications can consume that storage. Is, am I right in, mm -hmm. in that assumption? Well, I mean, it, everybody has a different defin definition for everything, and mainly the reason why is because there's no standard definition out there that I know of, right? Um, so if you want to look at it as a hybrid application consumption, I mean, we kind of already have that with, with ONTAP, right? So we've always had that. We've always been able to do NAS or SAN or now Flash, um, doing data protection on the same storage system. So it's been kind of a Swiss army knife of storage for years. And what we're seeing with some of the, the newer start, you know, startup companies and that sort of thing, they kind of have to focus on doing one thing really well. Right. And they, they can't go Swiss army knife because if they did, they would fail miserably because it's just hard to do. You know, we've had 20 years experience doing that. Um, so, you know, I, I can see why, you know, you would approach it a certain way. So if you're looking at, hybrid storage in terms of you know spinning disk versus flash we kind of already do that as well you can do data tiering so data tiering basically is you know when I have hot workloads that I need to run very quickly I can move them to a flash storage if I have things that I don't need to run very often or very quickly I can run them on spinning media if they're archives I can run them on even slower drives like maybe SATA um, so with with the operating system we have now with ONTAP you can actually do that already with volume moves um, having mixed uh, drive types in your cluster so you can move things across the cluster. So, you know, that hybrid use case is, is already kind of covered there. But then there's the, the concept of, you know, and I'm going to say this with a with clenched teeth, <laughs> hybrid cloud. <laughs> right. So there, there's been a lot of contention about, you know, what's a hybrid cloud, and a lot of people say that it doesn't exist, right? You're, you're, come on, shut up. Yeah. Hybrid but, cloud is that weird thing. My definition is that it's multiple clouds, but not like portable workloads. That's that weird thing yeah. that we we got sold in the start was like you're going to take and you're going to move it up there when you need those resources and then move it back. Like mm -hmm. no, no, you won't. <laughs> you will. Yeah. But I think the hybrid story for me is being able to consume storage or you know, CPU or whatever compute, every layer network, you know, com storage and, and uh, compute regardless mm -hmm. of where it is using the same APIs. And that's that more that like on tap cloud or cloud on tap rather, you know, and, right. and on-prem on tap, it's like that same API, same consumption model. So if I use Docker, doesn't matter where I put the Docker app, it's got the same API. It's got the same storage calls. It's got that same, under the covers protection and, and distribution of, of data. That's that's my like hybrid thing. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, mine mine may be different than anybody else's. Yeah, and, and your your hybrid thing is what we call the data fabric, right? So moving your data whenever you need it, wherever you need it, that whole tagline for marketing, right? But the idea is being able to use the ONTAP APIs across different storage mediums in different locations. And then also being able to leverage things like SnapMirror, which is you know a highly efficient data transfer process to be able to, to pull things in and out of clouds, right? Because um, right now, if you, you use a cloud and you try to put something into Amazon and then pull it back out, you might be paying a lot of money 
yeah because you're pulling it out so trying to to alleviate that problem um, have the freedom to move things between clouds so from Amazon to Azure without really worrying about how you're going to get it there that's another methodology of the, the data fabric idea and then cross platforms right I mean we have multiple platforms in in NetApp that don't run on tap um, so having the ability to get between platforms, so like AltaVault or you know Storage Grid or one of those, potentially in the future having the ability to get across with SnapMirror. And I can say that because we announced something similar to that at Insight last year. Um, it's still in the works, right? I mean, this is all kind of futures, not really out there yet, but yeah. it's it's the whole methodology there is coming to us. Well, I love that you're it's you're seeing the roadmap there, and and we're seeing execution on it, which is an important part, you know, for every vendor. Like you said, I love that idea. You know, startup vendors that cannot deliver a Swiss Army knife because you, you will you will not make it to the next round of funding with the investors you've right. got if you're deliver if you're building a Swiss Army knife because you have to deliver a really good knife or a really good little tiny piece of scissors. You know, mm -hmm. and then you take that and then you add on next feature, next feature, and then, you know, you're at whatever evolution of that company, then you've got you can start to call it a Swiss Army knife because you have in fact delivered a feature set that's there. And it's but I like that that you guys are rediscovering i think that agility that really put netapp at the fore you know back in the day whatever the day is you know yeah, it's, yeah. it's been I mean, around for a long time for a reason it's you, you guys aren't new to this game yeah i mean i think there's a comeback in, of sorts i mean you know and the, the talk about startups not having a swiss army knife is no knock right i mean it's just it's, I kind of look at it like um, I'm, a, I'm a big comic guy, so Marvel and DC movies. Yeah. So, so Marvel's had movies for, I don't know, 10 years now, and they've figured out how to do a movie that people all like. Whereas DC has been like, you know, just kind of hedging their bets in the Batman franchise and just redoing Batman over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Right? So now they're trying to finally like expand out and like say, oh, wow, Marvel's making a lot of money doing this. Let's do that. So you see with Batman versus Superman, the latest release in that franchise, that they still haven't quite figured it out. <laughs> and they're playing like a decade's worth of catch-up in the same movie. And Batman versus Superman, I think, is analogous to if a startup tried to do a storage system that could do everything. right? You just don't have the time. You don't have the luxury of time to do that. You have to focus on one good thing and just do it well. And, you know, it's... I, is there, there's no, there's no bad about that. I mean, it's just, it's just how it is. I mean, you know, you can talk about it with storage, you can talk about it with, you know, other software packages. You can talk about it with hot dogs. I'm not gonna be a hot dog vendor and try to sell hamburgers at the same time and be the best hot dog vendor. That's right. Yeah, there's, there's this weird thing too that, you know, I remembered McDonald's, you know, because I'm old enough to remember these things when McDonald's actually offered pizza and they decided that they were gonna <laughs> put inject pizza into their, uh, into their portfolio. And mm -hmm. overnight, they became the world's largest pizza chain. And that was because <laughs> they had the ability to take this machine that was able to execute and then they just uh, drop one more menu item. And that was a unique opportunity. And they also, you know, they tested the waters on it and the waters were tepid and they don't have it anymore for a reason. But that's what's neat in watching this, you know, the the evolution, as I, as I see it, you know, of, of NetApp rediscovering that agility 
and you know doing more acquisitions really doing some cool stuff so it's 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 exciting to to watch it happen and as we see you know on tap nine come out and obviously we're going into NetApp insights so we're going to have a lot more stuff and what we'll do is i'll hopefully get you and you know maybe get val berkovici on get some other folks as we get closer to to insight and take a look at what's coming because there's obviously going to yeah. be some really really neat things coming down the pipe i gotta I, we do have to close up on time unfortunately sure. we could we could definitely dig in on a lot more things but one thing i always like to ask people what's the what's your personal book list look like what's what's justin's reading list like and and what would you recommend to folks that are kind of looking to learn something new what is it that that you think is if you had to tell somebody i want you to read this book right now because it's badass it could be it could be batman versus superman if you really want it to be <laughs> we've had some yeah, pretty neat, um, neat things pretty offered. Much gonna be. <laughs> yeah um let's see a good uh, so i don't read a lot of like novels anymore because time and baby and yeah that whatever. whole thing um but yeah that um, thing. but uh if you're if you're into comics and you like say the x-men there is a uh series about wolverine called old man logan Dice. Um, and it's done by Mark Millar, and I guess he's the guy who wrote uh, the Kick-Ass series. So if you ever saw the movie Kick-Ass, same guy. Um, but it basically, it's it's uh, Wolverine as an old man, and he's living uh, in this post-apocalyptic wasteland of America that's run by all the villains, and he happens to live in, in Hulk's territory, because Hulk's now a bad guy. And uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, interesting take on the Wolverine story, and uh, very, uh, very cool reading. Um, a lot of vendetta in that story, so very exactly. bloody story. And probably not unlike the storage industry right now. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And then I'm uh, gonna yeah. I'm gonna tap you for one more question because I know you've yeah. you've got the right answer for this. What's the best place to get coffee in Las Vegas for people that are going to VMworld and going to Insight? Uh, oh, man. Yeah, I know you've you've got an Insight in story. For those folks oh, who don't know, Justin should run a coffee podcast or blog because I've I've sampled at the places that he suggested in every city I've gone to and he has never not been right about the best coffee in town. See, you put me in a bad spot because I haven't done a lot of Vegas research because like the casinos have completely swallowed everything. Yeah. And they don't really have a lot of um, craft coffee places in the casinos. <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of Starbucks, uh, a lot of McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts. Um, and, you know, when you're at a trade show, it's hard to go off strip. That's right. Right? So in lieu of coffee in Vegas, I will give you another recommendation. All right. There is a mini golf place in Vegas that is themed at, by the band Kiss. So it's a Kiss mini golf. You had me Complete a with a giant. <laughs> yeah. There's a giant Gene Simmons face where you have to hit the ball up into his tongue. Nice. And it's all black light. It's, it's ridiculous. That's uh, and if you need if you need if you need something after that, there's a brew house across the street. It's uh, Hof Brewhouse or something. It's like a German beer hall. Ah, it's like very cool. Yeah, so you could walk across the street, get your German beer and your pretzels, uh, play some Kiss mini golf, and then head back to the hotel and wonder where you are actually. 
that's only in Vegas could you could you shoot a golf ball right. across Gene Simmons' tongue and then uh, celebrate with a German beer after. That's uh, the magic yeah. of of us. So, Justin, again, let's reintroduce you to the folks. Where do we find you online? How do we uh, keep the conversation going if folks have questions for you on on tap and and all other things uh, storage and and IT? All right. So if you want to find me on Twitter, I am NFS Dude Abides. So name comes from Big Lebowski, of course. Um, if you want to read more about what I write about on tap and NAS in general, uh, why is the internet broken.com. And also, if you are interested in general NetApp thingies, or we actually go branch out to other things outside of NetApp, like Mesos, uh, Docker, OpenStacks, so if you want to hear any of that, uh, techontappodcast.com. And you have really cool content, and it's always always funny to be on a podcast talking about someone else's podcast. But it's it's really kind of the new blog, and and I'm I'm a huge fan of the content you've done there. And like you said, I love the leading edge stuff, Docker, Mesos, you know, Kubernetes things. All these new things come up, and while it may seem kind of weird outlying things, we probably would if we had been around blogging and podcasting in 2003. You know, we, people would have said, "What's this VMware thing you're talking about? It's bizarre. No one's gonna, <laughs> no one's gonna do no one's that. No gonna use that. Bare metal all the way." <laughs> so, well, again, thanks very much, uh, Justin. It's it's great to to have a chat, and and we'll we'll definitely we'll have you back on as we get close to Insight. Uh, when is actual Insight this year? If you if you know that, I think it's around the last week of August ish. Uh, let me look it up actually, because I know it's I know it's the last week of September. Yeah, let me give you the exact dates here. Um, so we have two we have two shows, one in Vegas, one in Berlin. So if you're in EMEA, you can go to the Berlin one, or you can come to Vegas if you'd rather go to Vegas. Some people would want to go to Vegas. Um, so September 26th through the 29th at Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, and, and then in Berlin at the uh, the Berlin Cube, uh, November 14th through 17th. So good decent German weather there for that. Nice. Um, Vegas might be a little hotter in the end of September, but hey, whatever. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, Erica, if you ever want to come on to the Tech on Tap podcast and talk about whatever you want to talk about, you know, hey, feel free. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be glad to have you on. Nice. All right. Very cool. And for folks who do get a chance to go to NetApp Insight, uh, Justin's sessions are a must attend. Uh, and thanks again. So uh, with that, we'll close out and uh, we'll catch you again soon, uh, hopefully at an event nearby as well. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. So go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? Tweet us at GC On Demand. Thanks for listening.